Hello and welcome to Healthy Mind, Healthy Life with your host Avik. This podcast is all about exploring the latest research, sharing personal stories and providing personal tips for improving our mental health and well-being. Each episodes will be joined by experts in the field of mental health as well as individuals who have experienced the transformative power of a healthy mind firsthand. Together we will dive into a range of topics from managing stress and anxiety to building resilience and cultivating happiness. So, join us on this journey to discover new ways to take care of our minds, bodies and souls and let's work together to create a healthier, happier world one episode at a time. So, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of Healthy Mind Healthy Life. I am your host Avik and today we have a very special guest joining us. Please welcome Telsey Brook, a licensed psychotherapist coach, a speaker specializing in narcissistic abuse and relational trauma. So Telsey, your expertise and experience in the field of narcissistic abuse are truly remarkable definitely so i have read about your bio and uh, from there i was really like I, I i just really wanted to have this episode and wanted to understand a lot of things because i believe there are a lot of things which uh, uh, my listeners will definitely love to know about so you have also spoken at hr and uh, counseling conferences internationally recognized universities and national organizations on topic ranging from narcissism in the workplace to effective therapeutic strategies for narcissistic abuse survivors not to mention uh, you are the author of empowering book if only i did be known so uh, like listeners i would like to also mention that uh, she has written a book that is called if only i did known how to outsmart narcissist set guilt free boundaries and create unshakable self worth so like uh, absolutely like uh, it's it's totally inspiring and i uh, can't help but uh, be inspired by your uh, personal story of resilience and growth so growing up uh, you struggled to feel whole and worthy right so leading to relationships and highly narcissistic individuals overcoming shame and self judgment uh, you embarked on a healing journey that transformed your life and now you are decided to helping others uh, heal from narcissistic abuse so like uh, can can you just if you if you just tell us all about uh, your journey and uh, experiences i can understand from things but definitely would, uh, me and the listeners definitely love to uh, know more about it yeah absolutely thank you so much for having me so yes i did grow up in a household where i felt like i needed to be perfect to earn love lots of whoops. i do have cats so if you hear anything in the background that's what that is yeah. um so in my household i often felt the need to try to be perfect to earn love to that um success was very conditional or love was very conditional so there was kind of that cycle of abuse happening where things would be okay for a time and then there would be that tension building and 
then, you know, it would be something would happen and then promises would be made. Things are going to get better, but then they never did. And so that was really the kind of background that I came from. So when I became an adult, that was my understanding of relationships, that relationships are hard work that it has ups and downs and you just have to do your best and get through them and keep trying. And that led me to have a lot of adult relationships with narcissists and different types of narcissists, which we can get into. So I often tell my clients, I'm right there with you. I get it because I'm a survivor myself and I'm still healing and I still feel the effects, but I've made it my life's mission now to help other people understand and heal from what they're going through. Wow. So your journey and commitment uh, to this cause are truly commendable. And it's it's evident that you bring not only professional expertise, but also uh, personal empathy and uh, compassion to your work, for sure. So as a certified uh, partner trauma therapist, registered uh, play therapist and level one trained Gottman method couples therapist, so you offer a holistic approach to healing. So if you just shed a light on this a bit. Yeah, absolutely. So my focus is very trauma informed. And what that means is that I see the person as a whole. I don't just look at someone to see the symptoms that they're bringing in and think, oh, what disorder does this, these symptoms or these behaviors fit into? I really want to see people as a whole person within their religious, societal, cultural, familial context. And that's really what trauma-informed care is all about and why it's so important for narcissistic abuse survivors, um, that you're really looking at not only them and the issues that they're bringing in, but also their relationships to see, are there any toxic relationships they're going through? And obviously, if you have a narcissistic abuse survivor or someone who's experienced relational trauma, they're definitely going through a lot. And so you want to look at them from the lens of what is this person dealing with? What's their home life like? What kind of family did they grow up in to be able to, to truly understand them and help them? Wow. So it's truly inspiring to witness the transformation and uh, the growth that survivors can achieve with the right support, for sure. So your dedication to giving a voice to those who feel silenced by narcissistic abuse is definitely commendable. So thank you for being here today and uh, sharing your expertise with our audience. And to our listeners, stay tuned as we delve deeper into this world of narcissistic abuse. And we'll explore the effective healing strategies with Chelsea and uncover the ways to cultivate a healthy mind and a healthy life. So, uh, so Chelsea, like as uh, like you have shared your experiences, your um, uh, like inspiration. But from here, like uh, when we talk about a narcissist, so what are the key characteristics and traits that define this type of individual? Narcissism is a personality trait that exists on a spectrum. So you can be a little narcissistic to highly narcissistic. On the lower end of this scale, you might think of the entitled know-it-all at the dinner party who's great for livening up guests but really wouldn't be there for you 
empathetically or emotionally. At the high end of the scale, we have the malignant narcissist, which is basically a cousin to the psychopath. And narcissism is characterized by things like grandiosity, superficiality, superiority, interpersonal exploitativeness, and a lack of empathy. So grandiosity. Narcissists live in a distorted reality, viewing themselves as exceptionally unique and special, and they tend to have self-glorifying fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, and attractiveness. They tend to also have very superficial personality traits. They focus on being charming and charismatic, kind of what things look like. And their relationships also tend to be very superficial. So nurses care about what you have, what you look like, what you do, how they can benefit from you. They don't really care about you as a person. They're also incredibly superior. They have this sense of superiority, a sense of being better than this inflated um, sense of self-importance. And they're very entitled. This means they believe they deserve special treatment, not because they've done anything special, simply because they exist. This also means they think the rules don't apply to them. So the rules always apply to you. But to a narcissist, they're always the exception. They should always be given that preferential treatment. They are also very interpersonally exploitative. This means narcissists essentially use people as pawns to get what they want. So they will lie to you, charm you, manipulate you. All depends on what they need from you at the time. I often say that narcissists treat people like a healthy person treats products. So for example, me and my coffee maker, we have a great relationship. I get up in the morning, it makes me coffee, it serves the function I want it to in my life. We're good. If, however, I got up in the morning and my coffee maker stopped working, I would say we don't have a good relationship anymore. Things aren't going well, and I would probably throw it out and get a new one. And that is how narcissists treat people. And finally, the hallmark trait of narcissism is a lack of empathy. Narcissists simply don't care how their behaviors impact you. And if you share your emotions with them, they will likely be annoyed or disgusted that you're doing so. So as I can understand, uh, so narcissists are mostly self-centered and they love themselves only. They do not care about what others are thinking, what others um, can think or uh, what would be the repercussion from uh, this thing. So they only think about themselves. Yes. Narcissists are yeah, always thinking about how they can benefit from things. They see relationships as quite transactional. Understood. So I have also heard about the term narcissist abuse uh, mm -hmm. mentioned. So could you help to us understand like what exactly the narcissist abuse is and how it is different from other forms of abuse? Mm -hmm. Great question. I'm so glad you asked that. So narcissistic abuse is a multi-layered attack on your sense of self. I describe it as a dismantling of who you are and what you believe you're worth. And it is really important to differentiate narcissistic abuse from other types of abuse because it is unique and so insidious. So first of all, let's just look at it in terms of how it's different from physical abuse. Obviously, physical abuse includes, you know, abuse done to your body and you end up with, um, you know, bruises or, or physical proof of pain somehow. It includes scratching, hitting, you know, clawing, biting, all those things. And so a lot of times people are willing to say physical abuse is not okay because they see the bruises or they see, you know, physical evidence that this is not okay. They're more hesitant to really label the psychological abuse as a problem. In fact, research suggests that people are more likely to stay in a relationship where there's only psychological abuse and not physical because they aren't sure that what they're experiencing is abuse. Now, narcissistic 
abuse is a type of psychological and emotional abuse. So they really overlap. Emotional abuse can also include the belittling, criticizing, gaslighting, manipulation, passive aggressiveness, all the things we see in narcissistic abuse. When we talk about narcissistic abuse, we're really talking about the type of person who is perpetrating emotional abuse. It's also important to recognize that narcissistic abuse can encompass a lot more than just physical and emotional. It can also be financial, spiritual, sexual, religious in nature. So it also encompasses a lot more things. Understood. So it's fascinating to learn that uh, there are different forms or types of narcissists. So um, could you share with us some insights into those various types of uh, narcissists and uh, how they exhibit their behaviors? Mm -hmm. And we could do a whole session on breaking down every type of narcissist. So I'm just going to hit the highlights. Um, but grandiose narcissists are those what we typically think of when we hear the word narcissist. They're very charming, charismatic. They tend to be extroverted, pretty socially adept. And they present this image that they're very successful and productive because this is what they want to portray to the world. Of course, we call this their constructed grandiose self-image. And as long as narcissists are getting feedback from others that they are being perceived in a really positive way, then they can maintain this grandiose view of themselves. That's why what other people think of them is so important because it doesn't really matter who they actually are. It matters what people think. So a narcissist doesn't have to be good to feel good about themselves. They just have to look good. Another type we often hear about is vulnerable narcissists. Now, if you're scrolling social media, if you're looking this up, you'll probably see this termed as a covert or victimized narcissist. It's also in the literature specifically referred to as vulnerable narcissists. And these types typically have one of two presentations. They're a victimized persona where they come across as sullen and withdrawn. A lot of people, even therapists, will mistake vulnerable narcissists from this presentation as depressed because that's really what they look like. However, the difference is what looks like depression with a vulnerable narcissist never gets better. You, you just pour into them, you help, you're always there for them thinking they're going to get better. Like they're just in a rut. We all go through difficulties. They can, you know, they, they don't take your help and actually get better from it. They just want more and more and more. They, they're entitled. They expect your help, your time, your money, your resources. The other presentation is just being a really sweet girl or nice guy. From this presentation, they cause a lot of chaos and conflict and drama behind the scenes because people don't think anyone so nice would ever do something so cruel. That they are just as manipulative and sadistic and entitled as the other narcissists. Um, a few other narcissists that we can talk about include self-righteous narcissists. These tend to be very hyper-moralistic, controlling, organized. They can be quite involved in religious spaces, nonprofit organizations. And this is really how self-righteous narcissists get their supply by getting this validation from other people that they are so organized and dependable, but they're actually quite rigid. So it, it can be very intimidating to be around this kind of person. They, they tend to be quite judgmental if you don't meet their standards, whatever they have decided you should be. Um, communal narcissists. These are the philanthropists, humanitarians, do-gooders of the world, but they're not giving their time and energy to these causes for the sake of doing good. They're doing it for the praise and validation they expect to receive because of it. So if they don't get 
that praise, that applause for everything they're doing, then they will again lash out, become irritable, withdrawn, sullen. Malignant narcissists are the, like I was talking about, the more um, extreme version of a narcissist. So they're said to be the pinnacle of the dark triad, the point at which narcissism, psychopathy, and Machiavellianism, which is that singular focus on power, all collide. So if someone is highly driven to power, to success, profit, pleasure, without regard to who it hurts or how they get there, then they would be a malignant narcissist. So that's just a wide overview. Like I said, we could talk about even more. Yeah. So, uh, so Chelsea, like I'm also curious to know how the cycle of abuse changes when uh, dealing with different types of narcissists. So uh, could, you, could you shed some light on this topic? Yeah, so I think it's important to understand the narcissistic cycle of abuse overall. Um, so that includes four phases. Idealize, devalue, discard, hoover. So this happens from beginning to end of the relationship. That idealization, the love bombing. A lot of times we hear about this from grandiose narcissists where it's quite intense. There's a lot of infatuation. People describe it as having met their soulmate or think that this person is just amazing, everything you ever wanted. The devalue phase happens as the newness of the relationship starts to wear off. This is when narcissists become critical, more distant. That's when all those narcissistic abuse behaviors start happening. Gaslighting, manipulation, passive aggressiveness. The devalue phase can happen in a couple different ways. Narcissists can... I'm sorry, the discard phase can happen in a couple of different ways. They can physically discard you by just leaving the relationship. Like they've just decided they're done with you. They're done with your supply. They're looking for new, fresh supplies somewhere else. And they've just ended the relationship. But a lot of narcissists stay physically in, in contact, but emotionally discard you by acting in ways that are highly disrespectful to you. They will cheat on you. They'll make decisions that impact you without um, kind of conferring with you. Like if they're your spouse, they'll take a job somewhere where you have to move, but they never talk to you about it. So they just act in ways that are highly disrespectful to emotionally discard you. And they will also hoover you. So if a narcissist wants to make things better, let's say that you've had an argument and a narcissist might the next day kind of throw a sorry at you and bring you flowers and then expect everything to go back the way that it was. Um, so overall, the narcissistic cycle of abuse tends to look pretty similar, no matter what type of narcissist. The, the part of the cycle that looks different, depending on which narcissist you're dealing with, is the idealized or the love bombing phase. So grandiose, malignant narcissist, communal narcissist, they all kind of look the same. You get sucked into this relationship on the false premise of who you think this person is, that you think that they're a really caring person or a really successful person or the person of your dreams, however they present themselves to you. Vulnerable narcissist is the one that has a really different love bombing phase. They will reel you in by getting your sympathy, your pity, your help. So if you tend to be a helper, a really empathetic person, then you'll be more likely to be drawn in by the vulnerable narcissist type of love bombing. Exactly understood. So um, many people may be unaware that um, they are being narcissistically like abused. So mm -hmm. what are some common signs or uh, maybe the red flags that someone mm -hmm. uh, should be mindful of to recognize that if they are experiencing narcissistic abuse? Mm -hmm. 
So I break this up into four different um, areas. I talk about this a lot in my book, but there are some cognitive, emotional, behavioral, and physiological warning signs that we could be looking for. Cognitive warning signs is when you start getting stuck in overthinking. Let's say that you're married to someone. And when you're married to someone, you expect to be able to rely on them, to receive love from them, to be able to communicate with them. So when you're married to someone and this person is critical or contemptuous or passive aggressive, we're uncomfortable with the internal disparity because our reality isn't matching our expectations. And that's when we experience something called cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is brings up a lot of internal anxiety. So we want to make sense of things. We want to alleviate those anxiety symptoms that are caused from the cognitive dissonance. So that's when we start justifying and rationalizing and explaining, well, yeah, they say things that are critical to me, but they don't really mean it. Or they're such a nice person or they provide so well, or everyone else thinks so good of them. I'm sure that we're going to work it out. I'm, I'm sure they're just stressed from work. So we start making excuses. So if you find yourself having to try to make sense of someone's behaviors, that's one sign of a toxic relationship. And the emotional side to that cognitive dissonance coin is a state of confusion. You find yourself consistently running through scenarios, trying to make sense of things, replaying conversations. And no matter how hard you try, things just don't add up. You continue being more confused in these relationships as if you're on a treadmill, just constantly running through things, but nothing is quite adding up. Behaviorally, people will sometimes find that they engage in more procrastination. They're just less productive, like mentally and logically. They can think, I want to do these things and I want to set these goals and I want to achieve this. But for some reason, they keep self-sabotaging and they can't seem to make progress toward their goals. Um, you might also be engaging in people pleasing, especially again, if you tend to be a helper, a fixer, you think, well, I just need to figure out what this person wants. I just need to learn how to communicate better with them. They, And of course, the narcissist is giving you all kinds of reasons that if you would just improve or do this or you know, communicate with me this way, if you just wouldn't be so needy or sensitive or controlling, then things would be fine. And a lot of survivors are self-reflective people who want to improve themselves. And so they really take that to heart and they work so hard on improving themselves. All the while, this is a way that the narcissist completely escapes blame or responsibility or accountability because they keep pointing the problem to you as if, if you could ever get better, then we wouldn't have problems. And lastly, physiologically, a lot of people will experience um, feeling like shut down uh, they can also be really hypervigilant. So it tends to be one of those. You either find yourself constantly walking on eggshells, feeling hypervigilant, anxious all the time. Sometimes you don't really know why. And if you're in that long enough, then people also shift to being shut down where you just feel depressed, apathetic, numb. You don't even know what you like, who you are, what your emotions are anymore. So those are some signs we can be aware of for toxic relationships. Wow, that's that's uh, so well mentioned. Um, so uh, also, like you have mentioned the concept of a trauma bond earlier. So uh, mm -hmm. could you explain uh, to our listeners that what a trauma bond is and how it tends to form within narcissist relationships? Mm -hmm. A trauma bond happens when you become attached to someone who also hurts you. So 
this usually manifests in a couple of ways. Once people recognize that they're in a relationship and things are not adding up and they're having a lot of anxiety or depressive symptoms, cognitive dissonance, overthinking, some people want to leave but they feel really stuck. They describe it almost like there's this incredibly powerful, invisible force keeping them in the relationship. On the other side, you can also experience a trauma bond like you feel too confused or invested to even know what to do. Like part of you is recognizing there's something off and there's something wrong with this relationship, but another part of you wants to stay and wants to hope and believe that things could get better. And so a couple of things that really keep people stuck in trauma bonded relationships is our basic need to attach. We all are kind of researchers call it like this biological imperative where we need to attach. This happens early on with caregivers. It kind of subconsciously answers the question, who will take care of me? If you know you can rely on your parent, then you will have a secure attachment. However, a lot of Times someone's um, propensity to develop a trauma bond happens early in life because perhaps they were raised in a really dysfunctional household where they needed to rely on their parent, but then their parent was inconsistent or perhaps neglectful or maybe dealing with their own mental health issues. Maybe their parent was narcissistic. And so people will find that, oh, if I look back, my kind of groundwork for developing a trauma bond actually happened quite early on because with a trauma bond, love and chaos kind of get meshed into one. And it's like, you almost find healthy relationships boring. Like this doesn't feel like love. It's not what I'm used to, especially if you were raised in a chaotic or dysfunctional home. And, um, Okay, let's we'll have to cut that out. Sorry. Um, another reason that trauma bonds can develop is because of the narcissistic cycle of abuse. Remember, there's that hot and cold in narcissistic relationships. When you're in that idealized phase, the love bombing phase, there's a lot of connection. A narcissist is learning about you, is learning about what you want, what you need. And then they learn to mirror that to you and basically sell you this life that they're going to have with you. And you don't realize that, of course, this is all false and something called future faking, something narcissists will do a lot in relationships. But you learn that even if you have a bad day, good days typically follow. It's like in narcissistic relationships, there's sunny days and there's rainy days. And predicting which one it'll be is is you have a good enough chance of predicting the weather. Um, and so you never quite know what kind of mood a narcissist is going to be in. And that also tends to be a reason that these relationships feel very sticky and you have a hard time getting out of them because you do have the good days and you can see that. And then you think, well, if I could just figure out what's going on and learn how to communicate better and learn what this person wants or needs for me, then things would improve. And so that hopeful expectation that things will get better, that cycling of the idealized devalue phase continuing throughout the relationship also really strengthens the trauma bond. I understand. I understand. So um, like um, based on your experience working with survivors of narcissist abuse, so it's also very unfortunate that many people uh, find it challenging to leave narcissistic relationships or feel stuck in them. 
So could you discuss the most common reasons why this happens? Mm-hmm. Well, aside from all the confusion that happens in narcissistic relationships, there's a few mindset shifts that I feel like people really have to make in order to start healing. Number one, they have to know that there is no right or wrong way to healing. This is especially important for survivors because that when you're in a narcissistic relationship, you feel the need to be perfect, to earn love. This is really what the narcissist has set up for you, that it's all your fault. If you were good enough, if you weren't so sensitive or controlling or jealous, then things would be better. And so survivors often feel like, well, there's a right or wrong way to heal. There's something I should be doing or shouldn't be doing. They kind of have this idealized image in their head of what I'm going to look like if I'm, if I'm healed or if I'm doing healing right. So first of all, I always like to let people know there is no right or wrong. It is a process and it's a journey. Um, I'll say healing is a process, not a checklist. It's not something that you can just do and find yourself doing right or wrong. There's no right or wrong way to do it. It's taking small steps every day toward getting back to being you. And second, that triggers aren't a weakness. A lot of survivors will blame themselves and feel bad that they that they have triggers, that they still feel hypervigilant, that they still get anxious sometimes because there's this logical part of them that's saying, let's say you're out of the relationship and you still get triggered and you still have days when you find yourself really anxious or something reminds you of the narcissist and it puts you in a certain mood or you feel the same way you did when you were in the relationship. Triggers aren't a sign of weakness. They really validate your reality. They tell you that what you went through was real. I really encourage survivors to take that mindset shift to let them know that it's okay to have triggers. They're validating that you, not that you're bad, but that you went through something bad. So those are a couple of things I think survivors need to know. Wow. Wow. So that's great. And uh, so before we wrap up, like uh, just one more question. Like I, I find the concept of um, post-traumatic growth intertwined. So can you, can you explain like why it means, I mean, uh, like what exactly it means and how the trauma survivors can potentially experience this growth? Mm-hmm. A lot of times after toxic relationships, we have one of two options. We can go toward post-traumatic growth or post-traumatic stress. Now, I don't know anyone who experiences post-traumatic growth that first doesn't experience post-traumatic stress, like all of those kind of symptoms, the rumination, physiological changes, that hypervigilance, feeling shut down. So it's totally okay. And it's expected that you're going to have some of those post-traumatic stress symptoms. But what we really want to help people get to is post-traumatic growth. And that refers to the finding that sometimes after trauma or after difficulties, people actually experience um, a, a growth, a, a growing of meaning and purpose in life. And we tend to see that in five areas, appreciation for life relationships with others, new possibilities, personal strength, and spirituality. So those are the five areas where people can really experience post-traumatic growth. What I encourage people to do to start to experience more post-traumatic growth is even start noticing the small things. A lot of times narcissists are like solar eclipses. They block the sun until you forget the light exists. So can you do something enough just to see around the narcissist? Can you notice this beautiful sunshine outside. Can you take a moment to play with your pet? Can you appreciate 
the beauty of a painting, uh, the calmness you feel in nature, listening to your favorite song. It's really important to connect to those things to start to see even though I'm going through this this really difficult relationship or difficult time or I'm experiencing these post-traumatic stress symptoms, there are still some good things I can hold on to. Another thing I encourage people to do is really find a place of, belong- of belonging. This is super important for narcissistic abuse survivors because you've gone through something that a lot of people can't relate to. And after narcissistic abuse, the world often becomes divided into people who get it and people who don't. So even if you're searching this out, on, there's a lot of Facebook groups. I'm very active on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, finding these spaces where you can find content that resonates. You can talk to other people who've been through similar things is so important for the healing process. And lastly, just to notice the personal strength that you have had going through this relationship. Again, a lot of survivors feel that going through narcissistic abuse is a reflection on them, a failure, an ineptitude, something is wrong with them that they went through this. So I encourage survivors to look at how much more now do you know about narcissism, about toxic relationships, about the importance of setting boundaries? Like You know the, the strength it takes to get through these relationships, how much it takes to heal. You know the importance of setting boundaries. You know the importance of seeing trick, um, seeing red flags that perhaps before you would have overlooked. So there's so many ways you've grown and survivors often overlook it. I really encourage them to see the steps they've taken to heal, not in a judgmental way, but in a way that really shows their resiliency and their strength. Wow, that's that's so great. Like, so thanks, thanks, Chelsea. Like, uh, we have come to an uh, end of this episode and thank you for joining us on this episode of Healthy Mind and Healthy Life. And I believe like uh, our listeners have definitely found this dis- discussion on the topic of narcissist abuse informative and engaging. So uh, the listeners like always remember that your mental health matters and uh, we encourage you to prioritize your self-care and seek support whenever needed. So if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review. We would love to hear from you. Um, Definitely share your thoughts, questions, or the suggestions for future episodes on our website, on our social media channels. Together, let's continue the conversation and create a community focused on promoting mental well-being. So stay tuned for our next episode and where we'll be uh, delve uh, into another important aspect of mental health. So until then, take care of yourself and be kind to others. And always remember, you are not alone on this journey. So thank you again for listening to this podcast, Healthy Mind and Healthy Life. Keep shining brightly and we'll catch you up next time. Thank you so much.